Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Okay, let's start with uh, there's a letter. The premiers are now asking the prime minister for what? Let me guess. Money. Money, okay. <laughs> yeah, it just came out this morning. <laughs> uh, basically, political rule of thumb, you put all the premiers together, they write a letter to the prime minister. They're generally going to ask for more money. money. So yeah. it's not health care. It's for infrastructure. Okay. And there's some validity to this, but they're saying stretching existing dollars to cover our infrastructure costs by doing less or deferring uh, work is not a viable option. We need to expand and improve our infrastructure. So a lot of our infrastructure, and this is a, an issue that's been percolating for some time, uh, was built in the 1950s and 60s, and it's aging and needs to be replaced. When we had the atmospheric river event, yeah. one of the issues that was exposed is literally our storm drains in many places were too small. Yeah. They're not big enough to absorb the new reality of, of what's coming with climate change. So out of the blue, or maybe not out of the blue, but anyway, this letter popped today. We'll see if the prime minister is going to meet. Prime ministers are notoriously reluctant to meet with prime, with first ministers on their level because it elevates pre- premiers to the prime minister level. Yeah. And prime ministers don't like that. So it's an opening salvo from the premiers. And when we talk money, we're talking billions and billions of dollars here. We're not, you know, we're probably talking well in excess of $100 billion. So we're talking, okay, when we talk infrastructure, you mentioned, like, you know, sewer systems. Are they are they up to capacity? Roads and highways, bridges? A lot of this what? is provincial jurisdiction, but they, yeah. need federal, they need federal money. And also it's going to include transit. I mean, already right. Ottawa is there for transit projects, but yeah. I think the premiers are looking for a bigger piece of the pie here. And, again, as Ottawa presses with its electricity program, mm. Jonathan Wilkin announcing a massive electrification. Presumably that's going to be part of this as well, part of the grid to build infrastructure, to build clean energy projects and add them to the grid. And this is not the last time the premier is going to be talking about this. Yeah, housing too, big file, right? And there was this really interesting clip last week from Trudeau. We're going to play later on the show, by the way. We're doing a segment on this where Trudeau was asked about the housing crunch in Canada. And he said, "Oh, but by the way, I just want to remind you that housing is not a is not a core federal responsibility. I think this is like provincial. Re- I think he probably regrets making that remark because yeah. I don't think the average person out there distinguishes between governments when it comes to certain infrastructure. Yeah. They just want the things built, yeah. and don't try to take non ownership of something. So I think the it would be in the Fed's interest actually to try to take a little more ownership of housing if they can show some some success. And plus, there's as Pierre Paulia pointed out after that remark too. He he, he pointed out that there's there's a lot of federal responsibility around regulating housing and taxation and, and oh, all the rest. Canadian Mortgage Corporation. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, the exactly. List, the list goes on. No, the feds yeah. are not absent from the file. Yeah. In fact, you argue you should be more proactive on the file. I think it was a pretty dumb comment for the prime minister to make. Okay, we'll, we'll play that comment later in the show. We got a great guest on that coming up. Let's bring it a, a little closer to home here, Keith. So here's the here's the leader of the opposition in BC, Kevin Falcon, leader of the BC United. Okay, formerly the B.C. Liberal Party. B.C. United is the new party in opposition. And this was a social media post that he put out yesterday. And I I thought it was interesting. So listen to what he has to say here. Accusing the B.C. government, the NDP government, David Eby, overspending and overtaxing. Have a listen. Since the NDP were first elected, we've seen a 36% increase 
in the civil service in British Columbia. Now think about that for a moment. That means that they're taking 70 half for all of you watching. And the question I have for all of you watching this is has anything gotten 36% better in British Columbia? A BC United government led by me is gonna focus relentlessly on reducing costs. Okay, that jumped out at me because he's, he's criticizing, let's start with the civil service there, for example. Mm -hmm. So he says that, he alleges that the civil service has become bloated in British Columbia. There's been 36% increase in the civil service in BC. And then he suggests he's going to do something about it. Now, in true political fashion, though, doesn't really say precisely what he's going no. to do. Presumably, he's talking about, like, you know, a restraint program and laying thousands of people off. You know, right? I found this very interesting. And this is sort of an old school issue. This is yeah. something that's this is something you associate with the 80s and 90s. You know, this. And I think it's uh, another more evidence that they're very worried about the conservative party. This is a classic yeah. issue for John Rusted and the Conservatives. It's more of a black and white, right wing, left wing issue. Uh, very much hues to the right, caters to that sort of old reform party, anti-government uh, sentiment out there, which is a significant part of the population. But Rusted and the Conservatives have their hooks into that that group right now, according to the last polls. The United is not that far ahead of the Conservatives in polling, largely because the United is not known. Nobody knows who they are. So I think this is Falcon tacking to the right to ward off a challenge, again, from the Conservatives, trying to unite the right, but you can unite the right at the expense, perhaps, of losing some of the centrists. And that's the challenge when you start attacking this. It, it's, you know, it's frustrating sometimes to listen to, too, a little bit, just because you, you, you typically will get an ambiguous kind of statement. So he wants to send a message to people who are potentially going to vote for him in the next election, but then in true political fashion, does not want to get nailed down in specific. So yeah, what, he'll criticize the size of your bureaucracy, but then doesn't say precisely what he would do about it. Like, are you talking about massive layoffs in the civil service? Well, that we're talking? It, he criticizes tax hikes, right? There, too many taxes have gone up in British Columbia. Taxes are too high. Well, what does that mean? Okay, you're going to cut taxes then? And then what does that mean? Yeah. What do you do with that lost revenue? And I don't know if he's talking about the broad public sector or just the narrow government ministry sector. Because if yeah. you talk about the broad public sector... Uh, a significant part of that are healthcare workers. I mean, those are that's part of the public service. So I'm not sure. I can't believe Kevin Falcon would suggest he's going to cut or fire healthcare workers. No, right. But the implications of cutting, if you want to reduce this, the the public service, the healthcare uh, portion of the public service is immense. It's, it's yeah. the biggest part of the pie, and or do you exempt healthcare? And then the second biggest part of the pie is education. So do you exempt education? And then what yeah. are you left with? You're not left with... What do you, le what do you got left to cut? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, the challenge is going to be on to put some meat on the bone here when you talk about... I think that's sort of a broadly themed promise, but we'll see what the details are. It kind of... To me, it was a little bit of an echo of uh, federal conservative messaging from Polyev as well about, you know, well, was, taxes are too high, bureaucracy is too bloated. Uh, so, Falcon is a big admirer of Polyev. Sure. And of yeah. his style. I mean, these videos, these, yeah. is, these are Pierre Polyev style videos. Yes. I mean, this is, this is the, the way they like, they like to communicate. I mean, he is a self-avowed uh, admirer of the Polyev, um, of, of some of the policies, but also the style yeah. of, of, of communication. Sure. And maybe, maybe it'll work for him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. right now, I mean, if you take a look well, at right the... right now, nothing's working for well, him because nobody knows who they are. Well, Polyev's doing well, but Paul Falcon yeah. is not really doing that well, no, provincially. Exactly. Polyev is doing very well. As you yeah. and I talked yesterday, I think his fashion makeover, what do you want to call it? I yeah. think it's working for him. He's, he's a better communicator now. He's, he's, he's toned it down. Yeah. He's less harsh and less negative. Yeah. Um, and we'll see if that can be sustained going forward. Who knows? But uh, Falcon's challenge and the United's challenge is, that, again, here we are in August. People still don't know who that party is. I don't know if they I don't think they have the money 
to have a huge, massive advertising campaign. The last quarterly showed the NDP raised more than a million dollars. Uh, the Liberals were seven, $750,000. Not the Liberals. Oh, sorry. The BC Not United. the Liberals. Oh, another coin into the jar it goes. <laughs> <laughs> that jar's getting pretty big. <laughs> BC United. BC Don't United. Yes, yeah. Okay, let's talk a little uh, politics south of the border here and the Republican nomination for president. So Donald Trump continues to lead all these polls. And we're getting closer to the sort of the first primaries, first Republican Party debates, which are going to be really interesting. Well, so far, he's kind of noncommittal, but it sounds like... I don't know why. Why would he not want to go into these debates? Because he's got such a big lead, so why risk it? Is well, that... there is that argument. He does have a significant lead. Yeah, I mean, there's really. I mean, it would be huge. Now, there's a lot of time before. I mean, again, he's he's about to face his fourth indictment next week. Right. So this stuff is still percolating, and as he's indict, as he goes through the justice system, uh, does it get more tarnished? And again, we're seeing more Republicans split from him. But are they having an impact on on the delegate base? So far, no. So the latest he, he seems to he seems to go up in the polls with every indictment. Yeah. So maybe another Bring indictment will be good. Sure, that's all according to plan here. Okay. So speaking of um, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, the Republican the, who would appear to be the main challenger to Trump for the mm-hmm. nomination. So he's at. Listen to this exchange here with NBC News. Now he's asked here, did Donald Trump lose the last election? Pretty simple question here. And listen to the listen to this exchange. Yes or no, did Donald Trump lose the 2020 election? Whoever puts their hand on the Bible on January 20th every four years uh, is the winner. Okay, but respectfully, you did not clearly answer that question. And if you can't give a yes or no on whether or not Trump lost, then how can you... Of of course he lost. Uh, Trump lost the 2020 election. Of course. uh, Joe Biden's the president. Oh, of course well, he lost. That's a, this is a major concession here from <laughs> a major <Sanders>. concession. <laughs> yeah, DeSantis has been dodging this question for for years, basically. And now I think he realizes nothing's working for him in this campaign. Everything he's done has just gone to dust. And he's got to turn the page and he's got to turn the message. And now he's joining Bill Barr, Mike Pence, a number of other prominent Republicans who who have turned their back on Trump. Uh, now it's not hurting Trump in the in the Republican. And in fact, the last New York Times poll last week had him neck and neck with Joe Biden. Well, yeah. So in a general you know, election. This is not yeah. this is not over um, by any means. But yeah. again, it's at the beginning of a new process of the criminal ju- of Trump entering the criminal justice system, yeah. uh, and we'll see how that plays out. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. It's Baldry's Beat. Let's go right to your phone calls here. Brian in Coquitlam. Hi, Brian. Go ahead. 
Hey, Mike, I wanted to address the issue of the province is asking the federal government for more money. I think it's fair. I think the federal government actually owes the provinces more money, specifically Ontario and B.C., because they've opened the floodgates on immigration. When our governments, are, our local governments are planning things, they look at a trend and they build hospitals and schools based on that trend. But once that floodgate opens up, everything's overloaded and the stuff we already have in the pipeline is not going to be enough. So we need to do emergency construction for more schools, more mm-hmm. hospitals, because they've opened the floodgates. So, yeah, they owe us more money. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there is a rising chorus of concern because there's record high immigration levels, ostensibly bringing people in to, to fill jobs and skilled yeah. jobs. But the implication of that, people need a place to live. Yeah. They need a place to send their kids to school. So we're, you know, BC's population is exploding, 150,000 uh, people a year. Most of them, as you and I have talked many times, 95% of the new residents locate in Metro Vancouver, the capital region, or central Okanagan and Kelowna. Those are the regions that are experiencing a huge population uh, bulge. And, you know, it's not just Surrey. You know, we talk about the Surrey double-decker portables, but other uh, districts in in, um, Metro Vancouver and the capital experiencing uh, a huge increase, uh, pressure in the school system, pressure on the healthcare system. You know, there's a big reason why the healthcare system is a problem, not because the system itself is is suddenly horrible. It's just that the pressure on it is likes of which we've never seen before because we have we now have almost five and a half million people in BC. You know, uh, six years ago we had less than five million, so yeah. a half million more people in BC. Yeah, it's a pressure on housing. It's a pressure on education. It's a pressure awesome. on healthcare. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and it, it's interesting. To be, that's why you see the premiers are really going to start stepping up, demanding the feds get more active, not just healthcare but housing as well. Yeah, and you see provincial premiers raising concerns about this, business groups saying, hang on a second, can we absorb this many people in that short of time? And in the in the most recent federal cabinet shuffle, it was interesting to see the immigration minister shuffled into a new portfolio. And I thought, okay, is that a signal that they're maybe going to moderate these numbers? But no, then they doubled down on it and yeah. said, no, 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 no we're no. Sti- we're sticking with these targets, five hundred thousand a year. Yeah, no, they're not. They're, they have doubled down. They're not yeah. backing off from that. But the yeah. premiers in the letter today doesn't mention that specifically, as far as I can see. But it does talk about infrastructure pressure, and yeah. for them, that means housing and other forms of infrastructure. Right, Daryl in Coquitlam. Hi, Daryl. Go ahead. And thanks for taking my call. Um, the federal government pretty well got out of housing in about 1994. And the provinces and the cities own a lot of land. I live at Lafarge Douglas uh, Skytrain Station. The city of Coquitlam owns a vast tract of land right there, which has sat empty for 11 years, and they've done nothing with it. Hmm. And I, I, I'm... I'd like you to refresh my memory. I think that there was under the Gordon Campbell government, and I think it was called Little Mountain. And it could have been BC Housing, and then all of a sudden those people were displaced, and it got sold, and they got loan guarantees, and nothing has ever happened to that land. So I, I know the federal government should be putting in more money, but I don't understand what the cities and the province with vacant land aren't doing it. Thank you. Yeah, Little Mountain was a was a, a mess uh, yeah. under the previous regime. I'm not sure what the current status of that is. Yeah. Um, the other big landholder are school districts. Yeah. Uh, they own vast amounts of land. It's not just school property, but there's been some school schools that have been closed, and the ran- the land remains. Vancouver uh, School Board owns a lot. Yeah, I think they put a major parcel of land on the block. Well, Westgate Mall. Yeah. Uh, King, yeah. Kingsgate Mall. Kingsgate Mall. Kingsgate, Kingsgate Mall. Mall. Uh, so that's a, that's a big chunk there. Yeah. Uh, in Victoria, you've got a couple of schools here have huge tracts of land. We'll see if the school boards open up some of that for housing. Okay. Rob in Chilliwack. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. Uh, you know what I'd like to say is, first of all, the feds, yeah, they need to pony up. 
and where they need to is health care. They need to pay their fair share. We all know that it's gradually depleted over the years. But, you know, what I really want to say is the NDP, they have a lot of nerve. They want to send out their first ministers and ask the feds for more infrastructure money. I, I, I mean, Mr. Eby, you had eight and a half billion dollars. You basically tossed it around to every nook and cranny in our province, every municipality. Eight and a half billion. That would have went a heck of a long way, guys, to improve water main, you know, water main infrastructure, sewer infrastructure, all that kind of stuff, which, like you said, Keith, is back, dates back to the 50s. So they just tossed that money away. But I find it a lot of audacity on EB's part to go to the feds now and, and whine for more money when you have okay. eight and a half billion. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Rob. Not sure what Rob's referring to there. So, well, was that the surplus that, that and he spent a lot of that surplus money there a few years ago? Yeah, the, um, they did. They did throw a billion dollars to municipalities yeah. for for uh, infrastructure. But um, I th- look, all premiers of all uh, stripes are going to the government, the feds. Whether it's Danielle Smith, whether it's Scott Moe in Saskatchewan, whether it's Conservative governments, NDP governments, Liberal governments, they're all approaching Ottawa for money because they all have the same pressing infrastructure needs. This is a conversation that's not going to end anytime soon.